to the church at Ephesus, he basically said, that's what God's design for you is, is to live in fullness, to walk in fullness, to have an abundant life. And he said, I pray out of the glorious riches of Christ that God may strengthen you, and you can put your name in there, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, you can put your name in there again, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, knowledge that you will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Have you ever stopped and realized that the God that we worship in his splendor, his awe, his majesty is actually who God is transforming you to be? So the one we worship, Jesus, and we go, he is just incredible. And yet the process of God working in our lives is that he's turning us into Jesus. It's an incredible thing to contemplate. That year by year, week by week, day by day, God is chipping away at us and turning us into the one that we worship. So that effectively, it almost sounds blasphemous, there will be a race of Jesus Christ's walking the earth. That you and I will represent Jesus in all that we say and do and the way that we act. We will mirror him. And as we all know, that's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a long journey journey and sometimes God strengthens us in our inner being and brings us to the measure of fullness by refining our character sometimes God accelerates things and things happen quickly but sometimes the process of becoming Christ-like is born out of adversity it's born out of God refining our character putting us in situations where we're tested where there's trials and tribulations, where there's hardship and adversity. And, and the way that we respond, God changes us into the likeness of Christ. Now, I'm getting a little bit older. I went and had my hair cut this week. And when I came home, I, I saw this hair coming out the side. And I thought, oh, he missed one. And when I grabbed the hair and tugged on it, it was actually coming out of my ear. <laughs> so stuff's starting to grow in places it shouldn't grow. It's a sad indictment on getting old. But when you get older in God, you realize that you're going to get pruned and God is going to refine you. And the quicker you get in the groove and respond and react the right way, the quicker you get through the pruning process. But when you're young and immature, sometimes you don't get it and you don't wake up very quickly. And so you keep finding yourself back in these scenarios where you're tested again and again and again about the same thing. And God's trying to get your attention, but you're not listening. And so he goes, oh no, I have to put it back in there again. I have to test them again because they're not learning the lesson. Because God wants to transform us into Christ. And it's not a quick process. It comes from years and years of God refining us. The struggle we all face is accepting God's refining process with joy and optimism. Yeah, we want to be Christ-like, but we just want it to happen quickly. But you know it doesn't. 
the more mature you get in God, the more you realize there's more and more refining that needs to happen. But accepting that process with joy rather than becoming bitter and downcast is really the key. Because if we can accept that God is refining us for the end goal of being Christ-like, then we'll submit to it. But in that moment, in that refining process where God is stripping away or taking stuff away from us, sometimes it's very hard to see the end product. When your world's falling apart and you know that God is at work, it's very hard to just wake up and say, I feel so joyous about what's happening in my life today. Because God's stripping you back to the bare bones so that Christ can be manifest in your life. It's a painful process, but it's God's way of bringing his life out in us. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, so remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, because I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When Jesus was teaching his disciples this analogy about his father being the gardener and, and he being the vine and, and, and us being the branches. It was a pretty significant turning point in Jesus' ministry because it was the point in which he started heading towards the cross. He knew what was ahead of him and he was trying to teach his disciples how they were going to go on when he was gone. And I, I don't know whether they had a complete understanding, but he was trying to get them to realize that, that even though he was going to go to heaven he was going to send his spirit and God's spirit would sanctify them make them holy make them Christ-like and it would be this this partnership of them being knitted into God and abiding in him and through that through that relationship of intimacy God would continue to work in their lives and he used this incredible analogy of a vineyard it was something in those times that people would have understand the analogy very clearly and uh, he said that God the Father was the vine dresser or the gardener and that uh, he would tend every believer. He would come to each of our lives and he would get out his cutting sears or his secretaires and he'd go to work on us to prune us back and to shape us and, and to mold us in such a way that we would bear much fruit. Now when I read that passage, the interesting thing is you're pruned if you do, you're pruned if you don't. You're going to get pruned. There's no option out. God's going to do it. If you neglect God and you walk away from him, he's going to prune you. Why? Because he wants to get your attention. But even when you're walking and abiding in Christ, he's still going to cut you back. 
he's still going to prune hard because he knows the principle is if he cuts you back hard, you'll bear more fruit. And that fruit will bring blessing to God. It will bring blessing to you and other people. But then when that season of fruit is coming to its end, what's God going to do? Going to get out those secateurs again. He's going to go and cut you back. I sat at my desk and thought, how can I put a positive spin on that? (laughs) Because unless you keep the end goal in mind, you lose perspective and it's just hardship. It's, It's just almost cruel. God, why, why would you strip those things away? Why would you put me in a place of adversity? But, but we need to realize that God sees the big picture and the end goal is Christ in us, the hope of glory and Christ, the fruit of the Spirit being born out in our life. So dead branches don't bear fruit. We all get that and they serve no useful purpose. They're ugly and what a dead branch does is restricts the rest of the vine from actually reaching its potential. So God comes along and says, well, hmm, he's not bearing much fruit. In fact, he's dead. Out. Cuts that person off. So if we're not abiding in Christ, then we can expect the Lord to prune us, to bring us either back to life, or if no fruit is born, to completely cut us off and throw us away to be burnt. Now that's a sort of a tragic teaching, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't get any harder or black and white or blunt than that. Jesus is saying, if you don't bear fruit, you're of no good to me. You're of no good to my father. He's going to cut you out. He's going to take you off the vine and and you're going to get burnt. And it was, in a sense, it was a reference to Judas, who was one of the 12 disciples, who in every sense of the word looked like a disciple. If you had to ask the disciples, which one's the bad one? They would have gone, is it me? I don't know. Which one is it? We're, we're all disciples. We've all been walking with Christ. We've all been performing miracles. We've all been faithful to God. We've all been on this journey. And yet one of them wasn't abiding in Christ. He didn't have that intimate relationship. And so he was self-reliant instead of being reliant on Jesus. And so Jesus said, I'm going to cut him out. And that same principle applies for anyone in the world that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They're like a dead branch that bears no fruit. They serve no purpose. It's no good having a lemon tree that doesn't have lemons on it. It's no good having an orange tree that doesn't bear fruit. Like that's the purpose. And the purpose of you and I is to bear much fruit, is to have a life that is full of fruitfulness so that we serve our purpose, but also the fruit is a blessing to the people who eat it. Like fruit in a bowl really doesn't serve much purpose except you can look at it and go, isn't it lovely? But it's the eating, it's the partaking of the fruit that's really important. Living branches serve a useful purpose and they have potential to bear even more fruit if they are pruned into shape and and they maintain unity with the vine. And when Cheryl and I went to um, South Australia recently, we went to a, um, a vineyard in Clare, in the Clare Valley. And the guy that was was teaching us about um, being a, what do they call it? A vine dresser. There's a particular name for it. It's a fancy name. But he was teaching us the principle of how they train the branches to go along the trellis. And any branch that comes down and, and hits the ground can pick up disease. 
And that disease can spread back up to the rest of the vine. So they're very intentional about the way that they dress the vine and make it keep in shape, keep in unity. And if those branches go wayward, out you go. And there's this, that principle is the same principle that God is saying to us. We need to be grafted in to Christ in an abiding relationship, a deep, intimate relationship, day by day, week by week. And God will come along in our lives and he'll thread us along the vine so that we stay connected and stay intimate. And when we begin to shoot off in the wrong direction, out will come the secateurs and God will go, I'm going to cut that out of your life. And it's almost a cruel process, but God knows what's best for us. And so the cutting back, the stripping away is the cycle in which more growth is produced. And I guess this is a reference to the 11 disciples who we know went on and bore much fruit. And God kept refining them and kept putting them in these awkward scenarios and they were found themselves tempted and persecuted and there was so much hardship in their life yet every time it got harder, there was more fruit that seemed to get born out of that circumstance. When they submitted to God, where God had his way in their life, they grew. And I guess Jesus said to them at the very start of that passage, he said, I am the true vine. Because you and I have attachments in our life everywhere. There's many vines that are connected to us. We have you know, vines to our husbands and wives. We have vines to our children, to our workplace. But Jesus is saying, in the midst of all those attachments that you have, I'm the true vine. I'm the vine that you need more than anything else because I'm the one who will supply to you everything you need. In fact, the passage says, without me, you can't do anything. That's the greatest tragedy, isn't it? That out there in the world today, people are going about their own lives thinking their lives have purpose and meaning. And yet God is saying it doesn't because you're not grafted into me. That's the tragedy of the gospel that so many people think they're in a good place with God, but they're not because they're not in intimate relationship with Jesus. So God prunes everyone. No one gets an easy option. In fact, I think it gets harder the deeper you go with God. I think it gets harder. But there's no rhyme nor reason to it. The process that God takes Chris through could be totally different to the process that he takes me through because God knows what fruit I bear and he knows what fruit is missing. And so he will hone in on producing the fruit in my life that I am lacking. And I'm not a very patient person. And so I know that God gets me into all these scenarios where I have to learn patience. And I don't learn it and I make mistakes and I rush in and God goes, oh no, I've got to prune him back again. Prunes me back again. Somewhere in this process, Mark will wake up and go, oh, God's trying to teach me patience. But because God loves me and he knows that lacking that patience is dangerous, he'll do what's best for me. Just like a father will do what's best for his children, he'll keep refining and molding and shaping because he loves me. He cuts back to ensure my potential to bear fruit grows and grows and grows. So in the season that I'm in now, God might go, Mark, you're producing so much fruit, but you know there's so much more that you can produce. So I'm going to cut you back again. And in our weakness, we go, God, don't do it, please. Don't put me through it again. I don't want to go down that road again. And God says, well, learn the lesson. 
learn the lesson and I won't have to prune you back in that area. But you know what? God will find another area and he'll keep cutting back and he'll keep cutting back because he knows that we can be Christ-like and he sees our potential and he knows that, that he will do it gently and he'll do it the right way and he'll bring us through to the end. So it's not good to resist because you're going to get pruned either way. Resist and you'll get pruned. Comply and you'll get pruned. You're going to get pruned. You can say, hey, what did the pastor preach about today? He said, we're going to get pruned. <laughs> no, go and buy prunes. Look, pruning hurts. If you look at the tools that you use to prune something, they're pretty vicious. They're aggressive tools. I don't know of a soft way of pruning something. You know, you get out the rose bush and you cut it back. You can't do it gently. It's, it's a vicious process. It's aggressive. And, and sometimes God will cut things back really hard. We might lose a job unexpectedly and we'll be saying god why why have you why have you done this to me might lose our finances we we might have a friend that dies suddenly our money might disappear and dry up we might have investments that suddenly are gone there could be all sorts of scenarios i lose my comfort i lose my luxuries my health suddenly goes that's god's sovereign choice but it's how we react in those scenarios that is going to test whether we're mature or immature and the distance between leaning, learning the lesson, I guess, is how long it's going to take for God to, to keep pruning back until we, we finally bear the fruit that he wants. You know, we need the right heart attitude to navigate God's pruning in our lives because it's inevitable. But it's joy in the midst of hardship that's the key to the Christian life. <coughs> When we are enduring the pain of pruning, our hope is recognizing it is because of God's great love that he's deeply at work. You see, if God didn't love you, he'd just leave you alone. It's, 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 it's a difficult concept to teach because it makes no sense. But discipline, if you don't discipline your child, they're going to end up what? going to grow up to be snotty-known teenagers who are selfish, self-centered, and the world is all about them. But the pruning process of God is about producing Christ in us. And so God's got to cut back into those areas where we're selfish and where we're self-centered or we're not reliant on God, where the, where the fruit doesn't produce. So we get into a scenario where we're going to park the car and someone sneaks in and they pinch our parking spot and out comes all the expletives. What sort of fruit just got born? Fruit that you'd want that person to hear? Fruit that glorifies God? No. And that's why God's got to come and he's got to cut back. Because he wants to know that in every scenario that we're in, when we're pressured, when we're pushed, when it gets hard, Jesus is going to ooze out. When we get squeezed, the juice that's going to come out is the juice of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You know, we, we want the power of God, but you know what's so much more important is the fruit of the Spirit. And even though the hair's starting to grow out of my ears and I'm getting old, I think I'm starting to learn the lesson that when we submit to God, that process of pruning, the season doesn't go on as long. It's shorter because God gets his way. But it's when I'm stubborn and resist that it takes longer.
There's no fast-track, pain-free road to Christ-like maturity. I wish there was. I wish I could come and say there's an easier way, but there's not. And so the right thing to do is to prepare people so they know what's coming up, so they know what to expect. So you're not asking why, God. You're saying, I know why. It's because at the end, God is going to say, Linda, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, Linda, why did you resist me all the way through? I tried and I tried and I tried. You didn't listen. He's going to say, well done. You lacked love, but love was born out. You lacked peace, but peace came. You lacked joy, but joy was manifest. And at the end, there's this beautiful bunch of fruit that gives God glory and blesses the people around you and demonstrates to the world that Christ in us will produce those beautiful things. God's discipline is an act of love. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Or just go out into the world these days, you'll see it. Go to a shopping centre. It's chaos when there's no discipline, when there's no refining when there's no moulding and shaping. And God does it because he loves us. That's where we've got a mixed up understanding of love because the world's definition of love is totally different to God's definition of love. I noticed on the news this week they want to ban smacking. Now I'm not for smacking your kids all the time as your first point of discipline. But what we're doing is we're, we're taking away God's structure of love and we're substituting it with a worldly one. And the end product will never be Christ-likeness. It can't be. We've got to do it God's way. And God does discipline us because he loves us. God will never test us beyond what we can handle. I remember when we first came to the Lord, we were going to Caloundra Baptist Church. And I don't know whether they were pastors, but there was somebody in a leadership position in the church. Their young child hung himself on one of those, you know, those old chain swings? And it got twisted up or slipped up and they'd, they'd, they'd hung themselves. This little child was about two or three. And I remember this family sharing their testimony at the front of the church about the goodness of God. You know, in my immaturity, I went, what a nutter. I don't get that. I'd be so angry with God that you took my child away from me. Like, I didn't get it because I was so immature. And yet, looking back now, I realized the fruit of the Spirit was manifesting and there was a rich maturity about they were, the way they responded to God that I knew I didn't have. When you saw the tears rolling down and the mum and the father just saying, well, you know, we were just custodians of that child. It was God's gift to us. And we can accept this because we know it's in God's sovereign plan. It's his greater design for us. And I'm sitting there going, does not compute. It didn't compute because I was immature. But it was a beautiful testimony of the fruit of God being born out in those people's lives. God will never test us beyond what we can handle, but it might feel like it in the moment, in the hardship, in the situation. When your marriage is fractured and, and, and there's no relationship and it's, and it's that awkward not knowing what to say, not where, knowing where the relationship stands, that's an awful point. I've been there, I know what that's like. 
And, and in that moment, you're going, God, what are you doing? Like, where are you? Like, there's nothing but hardship and grief and angst and pain. God, I've lost you. <laughs> but he sees the beginning from the end. I know if God didn't correct me and discipline me and shape me, I wouldn't be married today because I was self-centered and arrogant. And God had to get my attention. And he pruned it back really hard. But because of that, I know I have the marriage that I have today. And I know that I bear so much more different types of fruit because of that painful experience that I went to. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God will never break you to the point of being broken beyond repair. But he will break in so that he can break through. And he'll keep relent he won't relent. He'll keep pressing away because he loves you. He sees your potential. Just like you do with your kids. You see their potential and you keep, you keep honing in. You keep nurturing. You keep shaping and molding them because you know their potential. You can see it. They can't. You can. God can see it in us. And he'll keep plugging away because he loves us that much. The Lord is with us throughout the refining. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. It's not if, it's when. It's not if you walk through the waters or if you go through the river or if you go through the fire. It's coming. There'll be hard times. There'll be hardship. But God will be with you. He won't let you get burnt. He won't let you get flooded away and washed away. He won't let you drown. He'll hold you in that position and he'll get you through. We've got to keep perspective by looking toward the finish. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now that's the key. If you can get that verse and make it a practical outworking in your life, you will wear the victor's crown. For the joy that was set out before him, Jesus endured the cross. To receive the crown in heaven, Jesus had to take that path. Everything in, within him wanted to choose something else. But not my will, Lord, but yours be done. You know, he wrestled with, are you giving me more than I can bear, Lord? I don't want to take this cup. It's too much for me. But this is not about me. This is about your will and me being conformed to the will of my Father. Therefore, I'll go to that cross. You know, every fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control was tested between Gethsemane and the cross. And every response that Jesus had was the right fruit of the Spirit at the right time in the right way. He wasn't bitter. He said, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they do. Every time he got squeezed, juicy, 
holy, righteous fruit was squeezed out in his life so that everybody could see it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. You know, I am so longing for the day when the books are open and my name is called out. Because that's the end. That's what I'm running for. That's what I'm putting my hope in. The day when God's going to say, Trent, Kendall, well, we crossed you out a few times and put you back in. <laughs> Trent, come. Come and stand before my throne. Well done. Good and faithful. Can you imagine what that... I can't imagine it. You know, that song, will I stand, will I fall, will I cry, will I dance? I don't know. It's just going to be the most incredible thing to hear those words come out. Well done. Good and faithful servant. It will put it all in perspective. And when you run for the prize... And you can keep your eye on Jesus and everything that you're going through. He'll get you through. You take your eyes off him, you're in trouble. You're going to be in big trouble because it makes no sense then. You've got to look for something else to sustain you, to get you through. But when you look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter, you know that he's designed it this way and he's faithful. He'll get you through. He won't give you too much to bear. He'll walk with you all the way. He'll chill you on. He'll get you to the end. So keep your eye on the finish. Don't look at work in progress. Don't you love it when you're looking at something that the road crew are doing and you think it's such a mess? You know, there's all the road cones up everywhere and there's dirt everywhere and the road's all potholed and you think, wonder what it's going to look like at the end. And then when it's finished, it's a beautiful road. It's the finished product that, that matters most. Remember when we were building our house in Fiji, people had come along and go, what are you doing? Like, it doesn't look right. I said, wait till it's finished. Then you'll understand. And that's what we need to say. I'm a work in progress. God is deep at work in me. And if we work with God and keep our eyes on him, we'll get to the end and it'll be beautiful. God is always faithful to finish the good work. What God is doing in you is a good work. A good work, not an easy work, a good work. And you need to hang on to that promise that the one who calls is faithful and he will do it. He will bring you through and you'll bear much fruit. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Embedded in that beautiful passage in John 15 is this line, and without me you can do nothing. We gloss over that one a little bit. But what Jesus is saying is if you are rooted and tucked into me, if your life is built around intimacy with me and relationship with me, it's really you can't go wrong. But the moment that you look for something else to sustain you, something else to satisfy you, you're going to take your eyes off the end and you're going to trip up. Something's going to hit you harder than it should. Something's going to rock your world in a way that can be really damaging. I know because I've asked the Lord to prune us as a church that he is. 
Why would I pray a prayer like that? Because I know that if God cuts us back hard and he comes in and he works on those areas of our life where we're not whole or we're not right before God, that if God works at us and we submit to that work, then the end product will be not weak-willed, washy-washy Christians, but strong, mature disciples of Christ who will bear much fruit and will have great influence. And I think more than anything else in, in the Christian family of God, we need to get back to focusing on fruit of the Spirit just as much as we do the power of God. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit that's going to demonstrate to the world that we are truly disciples of Christ. So what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. What's the opposite of love? So every time there's hatred in your heart, where you're racist against somebody, where you know that you can't look someone in the eye and love them, you know that God needs to do some pruning. Joy. Joy is not happiness. God never promised you happiness in a Christian life. He promised you joy in the midst of trials. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not happiness. God never promised you that you would be happy. But he promised that you would find joy when you rely on him. What's the opposite of joy? Depression. It's rampant in our society. And it's growing and growing and growing. Why? Because people's eyes aren't on Jesus. Life makes no sense without him. Peace. What's the opposite of peace? Anxiousness. How many Christians do you come across that are really anxious people? It doesn't make sense. If you're in the economy of God, if you're looking at Christ, then we don't need to be anxious. It makes no sense to be anxious. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's the one I need. Anyone got an excess of patience they want to transfer to me? Be happy to receive it. Yeah, Mark Wilkinson does. (laughs) But isn't it great that we can see the fruit of God in him? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. That's qualities that we need so much more in our life. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? I wonder what it is that you're going through right now that God's pruning away. I know those waters sometimes get really deep and that fire can feel like it's burning everything down. So I'm not saying that enduring the pruning process is easy. I'm saying it's hard. But that's when true faith is really tested. When we're locked in the prison cell and we choose to praise when we don't have the money to pay the bills and we don't get anxious, but we look to the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, I know that there's deep work going on in lots of people's lives at the moment that you're, you're pruning and you're shaping and you're speaking deeply into people's lives about what you have ahead for them their potential. 
Lord, I don't have some fancy prayer that I can pray today. Lord, I just want to ask that you would remind people today that you do this because you love them. Just like we discipline our kids because we love them and it must grieve your heart at times to have to put us through that process. But you know that to get us to be Christ-like, there has to be that journey of adversity and hardship where we learn those life lessons and we come out the other side refined by the refiner's fire, purified, sanctified, strong in God. Lord, I simply want to pray today that wherever you're at work in people's lives today, that you would just remind them that you love them. And it's because you love them that you choose to work deeply in their lives, that you call them to greater things. Lord, I don't know why sometimes you choose to make us walk the road that you do because from our perspective it just looks insurmountable sometimes. But I know that you're there right alongside us, cheering us on, saying, come on, you you can do this. You can get through that broken relationship and out the other side and it can be whole. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And Lord, I pray now that your love, Holy Spirit, would just be poured out into people's lives right where they're sitting right now, that, Lord, that they would sense physically in their being the love of God burning. like an oil of joy and an oil of gladness, Father. I don't think you're going to take the tough times away. But I think you're going to teach us how to get on top of those tough times and have joy in our hearts. And how to put on the garment of praise when there's heaviness all around. And how to lift up our voice to God. And how to praise in the Spirit and with understanding of the bigger picture of what God is doing. That is calling us to greatness. No man ever got to greatness because God gave them a a backstage pass and let them through easily. We get to greatness because God puts great things in front of us and says, will you walk through it? Will you have the courage? Will you have the stickability? Will you have the gentleness? Will you have the goodness? Will you have the love to walk through? Father, I pray today that in the midst of all that adversity, all that hardship, all that pain, all that anguish, all that not knowing why, that we would choose to to just accept what you're doing. Even when I don't understand, like we sang before, when I don't understand, I choose still to follow. So Lord, I just want to pray today that you would just remind us of your great love. Just like you endured the cross and came out the other side victorious, you want to take us through our Calvary, our hardship, our death, 
that you want to bring us through to our resurrection, to new life and new fruit and a bounty and an abundance of life in you. So Father, I just simply pray for each one here today. Touch them. Touch them with your love, with your grace and your mercy. Remind them not to give up, but to press on towards the goal. Father, I want to thank you today that you do test us. That you do bring the trials and the temptations. That you do count us worthy to experience those sort of things. And Lord, strengthen us today. Strengthen our spiritual backbone. That we would stand strong with the right attitude. Walking through those waters. Walking through that fire. Knowing that you're on the other side beckoning us. Well done, good and faithful servant.